Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. And before we get into the Q&A related to questions about your Mandarin learning through the Mandarin Blueprint Method course, I wanted to talk about a YouTube video I watched this week that <laughs> you ever watched a YouTube video and they're talking about something you know a little bit about and they're framing it in a way that you're like, no, 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 don't frame it this way. <laughs> and so you're listening to it and you're just like frustrated the whole time because you think that the way it's being talked about is not quite right. Well, that happened to me. And I just thought I would talk about it and put forward a perspective uh, that is alternate to the perspective of the podcast guests. Now, uh, in a minute, I'm going to show you a clip from the Joe Rogan podcast n number 1294 with Jamie Metzl. And first of all, I just want to say that this guy, Jamie Metzl, was saying a lot of things that are factually correct. It was just the interpretation and the framing of them that I found to be... Um, very uncharitable and also in many cases I think while it's not fair to say objectively incorrect there's plenty of evidence to believe that they're incorrect so uh, I will put forward an alternate but first I wanted to show you the clip because it's something where he's they're basically about to talk about China's uh, tech future tech competition with the US and you know some of the ways that we should be potentially thinking about China and all that and he puts a frame around what Chinese society is like now, and I wanted to maybe push back on it a little bit. So here's the clip. The thing with China, China has this great ancient civilization, but they destroyed their own civilization in the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution. They, they burned their books, they smashed their own um, historic relics. And so it's really, it's a society in many ways that's starting from scratch. And so all of these norms that people get inherit through their traditions, China in many ways doesn't have. And wow. so, and so it's, it's a very different, and, and China is growing. I mean, they are increasingly powerful and China is going to be a major force, force defining the world of, of the 21st century. That's why America has to get its act together. That's a hard concept for us to grasp when we think about the fact that they had the Great Wall, yeah. they have so much ancient art and architecture. Yeah. We just assume they're a really old culture. They are, but they but wiped it out. So as you can see in the clip, the way that Metzl is framing the situation with China today is to talk about the Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward as successful destroyers of ancient Chinese traditions and customs. Now, any of you who have been in China are probably already seeing the problem because it is completely incorrect to frame China's modern society as non-traditional. And they're, they're very traditional. It's like China has become a quite conservative society in a lot of ways. They're respecting tradition a lot. And you could say it's like a, um, a rebound effect of the uh, Cultural Revolution because the Cultural Revolution was obviously a complete rejection of tradition. The word for tradition in Chinese is tong, which means to pass on systems, right? And that's really an interesting way to frame the idea of a tradition. It certainly makes the idea of a tradition a little bit less, uh, shall we say, mm, sometimes people are non-traditional. They tend to view tradition with a bit of skepticism and go like, ugh, tradition, no, let's move forward. Let's not be so traditional. But of course, if you think of it as passing down a system, it's like, well, yes, yeah, sure. Sometimes systems work. So you should pass them down to your um, next generation, but of course, eventually a system that was relevant to your time period is no longer relevant to the modern day. So of course we need innovation as well. So tradition and innovation are kind of two sides of the coin. And 
Chinese people actually get this really well. And it's because they do study their own history and it's even taught in school. So to me, the framing of the Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward being successful in their destruction of the societal uh, history is there's not much evidence to suggest it other than material things. So he brings up the fact that there were many cultural artifacts and there were many books that were, you know, burned or destroyed. And it's like, yeah, but to think that material things are uh, a representative of the things that are in Chinese people's hearts and minds, I think is clearly not true. I mean, like you can retain a cultural trope or a mimetic, uh, a passed down byproduct of our mimetic evolution without, um, and have that be a part of our sort of day-to-day thinking without having the actual relics to show it. Now, I think it was a travesty that those things were destroyed during the Cultural Revolution, but they failed. They They had a goal in mind to try to completely destroy the culture so that there was room to come up with the uh, proletariats uprising and seize the means of production, right? Ma- Mao is a true dyed-in-the-wool Marxist, and that's what he wanted, right? But he, you could frame it another way, which is to say, man, how incredibly robust and strong and profound must ancient Chinese culture and tradition be that it managed to survive the Cultural Revolution, right? It certainly was not destroyed, There are many aspects of Chinese culture that I see day to day that are clearly Confucian ideas, Taoist ideas, the way that they celebrate spring festival is highly traditional. You know, tradition is something that is highly regarded in China, and it's partially highly regarded because of how hurt the country still is from the Cultural Revolution. I think you should think of the Cultural Revolution as hugely influential, a wound in the hearts and minds of Chinese people, but not a successful destruction of the ancient cultures. And there is an advantage, a silver lining to almost any chaotic revolution, like the Cultural Revolution, which is that, as we know, traditions sometimes get stale and rotten because they're no longer relevant to our current society. So, It did uproot some of those, and it gave people a chance to kind of reevaluate their traditions and go, well, which ones still have morals to their story that will be relevant to our society today? And which ones is it okay that we let go now? And the evidence for that is that clearly since the Gai Gu Kaifang in 1979, which is the uh, opening up of the borders and opening up of trade, there has been a great deal of idea mixing in China. So you have capitalist ideas, you have uh, some remaining communist ideas, and they got rid of a lot of the communist ideas, but they still have some, and they mix them with capitalist ideas, mix them with ancient Chinese traditions, and... So you've got Confucianism, Taoism, Buddhism, capitalism, communism, Western ideas, all mixing together, which makes China an incredibly diverse place of ideas. And it is completely incorrect to say that they're starting from scratch. So I wanted to put that forward, not because I want to be like, oh, I have this different perspective, but rather because I think it's important to frame China correctly so that we don't misinterpret things as... You know, if you say that China is starting from scratch, then you're going to view ideas coming out of China as somewhat juvenile because they're starting from scratch, right? But 
if you view them as an incredible eclectic mix of many different types of ideologies and uh, experiences and that maybe they just have a lot to say that we could learn from, then it completely changes how you view the facts coming out of China. You, you can look at a fact and, you know, Jamie Metzl and I might look at the same fact and because he has the frame of they completely destroyed their previous society, he'll look at that fact negatively, whereas I'll with the frame of what they're an eclectic mix of an incredibly uh, diverse set of ideas, look at that same fact favorably. And so it's not to say that I'm right. I do think that Jamie Metzl is wrong about his framing of China here. But, you know, nonetheless, though, we have to at least consider the charitable interpretation of things. So now I'll get into the Q&A. And I just wanted to put that forward there. Hopefully, uh, it's not too contentious. But hey, it's important to have uh, alternate perspectives when it comes to the current somewhat contentious age of trade wars between the West and China and all of that. So Next, let's talk about an announcement around the course. I am continuing to work on the various emails at the end of each level. And so there are the motivational emails that you'll see uh, when you press mark as complete in a level review lesson. So once you get beyond level 12, there's no more videos for every lesson. So the level review lesson or the level 21 complete lesson, shall we say, you need to manually hit the mark is complete button or any lesson you need to hit mark is complete so that you get the record of it. Now, when you do that for the levels between 1 and 12, you've been receiving emails that say like, hey, level 9 complete and a little bit of a motivational message. But up until now, we didn't have any of those past level 12 because there was no longer a video for each lesson. Now we do. Well, I'm still in the process of finishing them up, but from levels 13 to levels 24, I've already written them, still working on them, but it's really important occasionally to uh, widen your lens when you're thinking about your Chinese study because, you know, each individual lesson, you're spending time on a prop or you're spending time on an individual Chinese character. That's like using a microscope because you're getting into the details and you're figuring out, all right, a little detail about uh, Chinese as a language. Occasionally, you need to look out from the microscope and maybe even get up in the sky and look down at your study and go, okay, where am I in the journey? How should I be thinking about things? Should I be using the same techniques? And of course, as you move through the course, when you go through phase three and phase four and phase five, you want to be slightly modifying your focus and slightly modifying your day-to-day -day habits when it comes to uh, the Mandarin language acquisition. So I'm going to be doing more of those and then recording level review videos so you can get a little bit more of an interaction that's like this when we're talking about uh, where you are in the course and in your overall Mandarin acquisition journey. So now we'll go ahead and get into the uh, questions from this week. So first, we're going to talk about the prop suggestions. And man, there have been some great suggestions coming in uh, lately for props and actors, which is just great because it gives people who are new to the course a bit of a, uh, just more options, right? Because obviously the suggestions that we made aren't necessarily all the best. So um, if we have more community-driven content, that'll be all good. And as a reminder, the MB Community Forum, the Mandarin Blueprint Community Forum is now uh, up and available. So let's talk about the props Prop suggestions first. As a reminder, props are our nomenclature for the 3D object representation of a character component. 
And if you want to know more about that, as always, there is a link in the description to the blog post where we talk about that. Now, uh, First one, William Edmeads on the prop for road or red carpet. He said, choosing red carpet as the prop because the shape kind of looks like it, what would happen if you were to slip on one. So if you look at this component in the show notes, he's like, yeah, if you slipped on a red carpet, it's almost like it would look like this component does. And also a red carpet is really relevant to your uh, mnemonic scenes. It's like it's so easy to imagine in whatever room that you're in, there's a red carpet. And of course, a red carpet implies some kind of prestige. So, you know, (laughs) there's all that as well. And um, so that's what William went with on that one. It was one of our suggestions, but he came up with a good reason why to choose red carpet. Next, we have Chad on the character Wang, which means king. And he said, I went with a scepter as they are associated with kings. Exactly. Perfect thing. The character means king. It's going to be used as a prop in later characters. So come up with something associated with a king, a scepter. Perfect. All right. Ryan Smith on the character that is the bottom section of the character for Kai. It doesn't actually have a pronunciation, but you can check out what it looks like in the show notes. He said, going based off appearance, I decided on the field goal uprights and crossbar from American football slash rugby. Uh, It does have an extra leg on the bottom for an American field goal, but I grew up with joint fields, I guess. So yeah, he's referring to the way the field goal posts look. And when I was in uh, peewee football, we also had those double pulled field goal posts. So this one kind of looks like a field goal post if you had uh, two legs at the bottom. Like uh, NFL football has one, but um, and I think college football has one. But sometimes in high schools, you'll see two posts there. So perfect. That's uh, definitely quite clear. Uh, then Harry Ching on pick a prop for and this is the character that means soil, but he actually says, for anyone that's played Zelda, which I sure have, uh, this really looks like the master sword stuck in a stone. Or you can imagine it in the ground to relate it back to soil. So this is kind of a double one. So it looks like the master sword being pushed into the soil from Zelda. And if you, because it means soil, you can get that double meaning there. Those are the best types of props. If you can look like it and be related to the meaning, that's perfect. So next, we have William Edmeads on pick a prop for Shang, which means above. And he said the balloon house from the movie Up. So Shang means above or up. So he just imagines that balloon house. Perfect. That's great. I love that one. Because of course, and of course, it's the movie Up. So it's not even, it's not even a question uh, of what does it mean? No, it's from the movie Up. Clearly it means up. Chad Wrestler on pick a prop for Zhu, which means master. And it, and it can also uh, look, kind of looks like... A candlestick, but he went with Bruce Leroy, the character from the movie The Last Dragon. He defeated um, uh, Sho, and he says it's enough to become the true master of the martial arts. And so that's an association with a movie, which links to the idea of master. And so he makes that person who became the master the representation of that particular character component perfect. Will Henry on the pick a prop for Xiang, which is uh, means like each other is the sort of original meaning of that character. And he says, a little bird sitting on the actor's shoulder. So I guess what he's going for is like uh, to have something where it's like the bird is sitting there and he can kind of, they can consult with each other. Uh, As long as that's clear to you, William, I think that's fine. And then we'll go uh, to the next one with Ryan Smith on the pick a prop for this. Actually, again, it doesn't have a pronunciation on its own, but it does. It's a major component in the character for 
uh, relationship or network. So uh, he says this prop, so take a look at it in the show notes if you want to see what it looks like. He says, I can't imagine a cell very easily because we, we originally suggested using a, uh, a cell, like a human cell. But if I take a step back and squint a bit, <laughs> this character kind of resembles a seahorse. A head on top and a tail coming down and swishing out to the right on the bottom, which is far easier to imagine in a scene. You know, it's funny, just coincidentally, I happened to be at the Moat Marina Aquarium in uh, Sarasota, Florida yesterday and was just looking at loads of seahorses and, uh, you know, I'm going to squint and uh, I think I can see it. So that that does work for this one. And again, yeah, if imagining like a little human cell, like for me, I can imagine that pretty easily. But I remember Ryan saying that he... Before he started the Mandarin Blueprint method, he found the idea of visualization not very easy. And so um, there are definitely, we, we can all do it unless you have aphantasia, which is a very rare genetic condition. But there is a continuum of how easily it comes to you. So for Ryan, doesn't come as easily to imagine a cell. And so he goes, okay, well, let's just imagine a floating seahorse in the air. Easy. So perfectly fine. William Edmeads on Pick a Prop for Jen, which is a character that uh, means occupy, but he went with the appearance here where he says, I've got a liquid soap dispenser that has the exact same shape. So I'm going to I'm going to use that. Perfect. Yes, exactly. If you have a dispenser that, uh, you know, looks just like it or any object that looks just like it that's per, uh, personal to you, you should go with that. Next, we have Jamie Miller on Pick a Prop for or depending on which uh, pronunciation it is but this is the prop that is like a mouth on top with two little legs he said i have always kind of thought it looks like one of those gymnasium jump boxes they used to bring they used to bring out in pe class back in school again perfect visual object that is appears just like the component and if that's what it looks like to you then you can totally um use that i I guess my school didn't have those types of jump boxes, so because I don't remember seeing one like that. But again, you can go back to any of your memories, and if something happens to look like the appearance of the Chinese character, you can go with that. All right, next we have Chad on character 205, which means like Jade. That's the meaning of the character. And he says, the Jade Buddha pendant that Rambo wore in Rambo 2 after Torbal was killed. All right, well, that's awesome. That sounds great. I never saw all the Rambo movies, but if there's a Jade Buddha pendant that he wore, that's perfect. All right, Abigail on Pick a Prop for Zheng. And she's probably referring to... Uh, Zheng has two possible uh, stroke uh, ways that it can be written. So at the bottom of the character Shi, which just means am or to be, it has that alternate, alternate uh, stroke order. And... The original idea was that Jung itself, because it means accurate, you could imagine a sniper rifle, because a sniper rifle is extraordinarily accurate, right? But then the alternative pronunciation, we were like, well, it's not the accurate way to write it, so pick something that is a little bit less accurate. And so she says, I chose a netball hoop, because you have to shoot very uh, accurately, and a football goal. Uh, so she chose the netball hoop for the... Uh, original accurate one and then a football goal which is wider so you don't need to be quite so accurate so she's instead of doing the sniper rifle and rocket launcher which was our choice she went with the far less violent uh netball hoop for very accurate and football goal for not so accurate to make that work and that's perfect that's like a different analogy that she's using but they work well and so as long as she remembers that link should be fine all right now next we have william edmeads on pick a prop for 
Mu, which is I. And he goes with the Eye of Cthulhu <laughs> from the game Terraria, or the Eye of Providence from the classic Illuminati Pyramid. So perfect. Yeah, easy to imagine right on the back of every, um, you know, $1 bill. You, I think it was $1 bills. You have that uh, Illuminati uh, I. Perfect. Next. In the very next lesson, William says, the pick a prop for and which can mean, one of them can mean nose, because the original character means oneself. And when Chinese people are pointing to themselves, like we tend to point to our hearts, right? We'll go like, I think this. Chinese people will point to their nose. They'll go like, well, this is what I think, you know? And so as a result, we said, this could be nose. And he says, I think Pinocchio would be the perfect prop for this. Of course. Yeah. And I think we might suggest Pinocchio later on, but it doesn't matter because so long as you get how to pick a prop, then you'll be fine. So that's our props. Let's go to the actors. This week, we only have one uh, actor suggestion, which was Spider-Man from uh, character 219, Swan. So uh, Swan is the first time you're using S-U. And so S-U, the U sounds are fictional characters, and it starts with S, so Spider-Man. So easy, easy enough, right? All of your actors are going to be you know, one of the things that can add so much flavor to your scenes because Spider-Man being in the scene gives you so many options, right? He can do all sorts of, you know, things to make the scene, the logic of the scene make sense. And then if the logic of the scene makes sense, it's therefore more memorable. All right. Next, we have a scene share from William Edmeads on the make a movie for Fu. Now, Fu is going to be a fictional character because of that ooh sound. There's nothing after the F-U, so it'll be in the childhood home, in the bathroom or the backyard because there's no final. And then the meaning of the character is to pay with props as Chuck Norris and a tape measure. And for uh, William, he actually chose yours truly, Phil Crimmins, to be the representation of Fu. Although I will say this about uh, that, William. I'm not a fictional character. I'm a real person. So I should probably be your representation of F for that one, not F-U. F-U could be Fred Flintstone or something like that, somebody who is a, or Freddy Krueger, or somebody who's a fictional character. But still, you know, it's not so bad. Now, Chuck Norris is supervising Phil, <laughs> installing a new sink in my childhood bathroom. Upon completion, Chuck's eyebrows raise in surprise of what a wonderful job Phil did, so he gets out his paying tape measure, extending it the full eight meters and pays Phil $800. Okay, so this is an interesting idea. He's making kind of a new concept that I don't think exists in the world, which is to have a tape measure whose main purpose is to pay people with. And obviously, uh, you know, it could work. It's a little bit, you know, sort of outrageous. But on the other hand, like, it might make it all the more memorable. It's kind of hard to say with something like this. Uh, naturally, you'd you'd think that if I was installing a new sink, that I'd just be using a tape measure to do the installation. Um, and, you know, that might work. But still, though, I'd be curious to see if you continue to remember this as you move forward. Certainly, the payment is clear, because I imagine that I would have to take the hundred dollar bills off of the tape measure and then you know, get paid by Chuck Norris. I, I like the idea of getting paid by Chuck Norris. <sighs> anyway, so <laughs> moving on to Ellery Hall on Make a Movie for Now, this is more of a question. He says, I am finding that there are songs that really highlight these more abstract 
keywords a little easier to deal with. For what, I brought in Aretha Franklin singing Respect. What you want, baby, I got it. What you need. Right, so that that's a, an example there. And then he said here for only... Um, and he says, uh, he says here, only you can make this world seem right. I think that that's, uh, I guess, again, Aretha Franklin. And so, exactly. As a matter of fact, for only in the webinar I did uh, about how my personal experience helped me learn Chinese, I did a song for only, which was the uh, Behind Blue Eyes by The Who, where he says, I spent hours only lonely. And that has a little bit of the mnemonic rhyming there with only lonely. And so, yeah. Absolutely. If you have a song that directly relates to an abstract meaning, that can be your key to success with the keyword connection because abstract meanings are the hardest ones to visualize. So if you can bring in theme music, that can work extraordinarily well. It works really well for me because I'm musically inclined. Uh, Luke is a little bit less so than I am. So it's kind of, you know, I studied music for many years and Luke didn't. So it's like, it's probably going to have a less of an effect on him. But if you have music that you really like or songs that really speak to you and you find an opportunity to use them, do it. Because they're clearly, by the fact that you remember them, uh, going to be effective. So, awesome, Ellery. Now, next, we have Chad on the Make a Movie for Zhu, which means to reside somewhere, to live somewhere. And uh, you can say, I could say, I live here. Now, of course, I'm living here while I'm visiting my sister, but that doesn't mean that I can't use zhu because I could just say, um, right? So that would just mean while I'm seeing my sister, I live here, right? So it's, um, you can just make it more specific if you want to say where you're living. Just, oh, during this time period, I'm living here. Now, the location for this is the childhood home because zhu by itself, it's not, say, zhuan or um, zhuang. If it was one of those, then it would be your ZHU fictional character actor in the AN set or the ANG set. But because there's nothing after zhu, it's in the childhood home. So it's in the backyard of Chad's childhood home. His actor is Jinny Chuan. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the correct uh, tones on that one because it's just opinion here, but it's an actor, Chinese actor. And then uh, the props are Chuck Norris and Bruce Leroy that he mentioned earlier in the podcast uh, being the master of martial arts. He says, I'm looking for a roommate to reside in my childhood home and my choice is between Chuck Norris and Bruce Leroy. We go out to the backyard where Norris and Leroy will square off in a battle to determine who will reside in my childhood home. Jinny Chuan acts as the referee. However, the fight is over quickly as Norris defeats Bruce Leroy with a roundhouse kick to the head. <laughs> Chuck then grabs his bags and walks up to his room where he will now reside and begins unpacking all his things. And I like that ending because that really gets across the idea of I'm living here now, right? So, and all the bags and all that, that's an extra object that's brought into the scene, but the extra object makes sense because it's completely related to the keyword connection of live or reside. And of course, the scene itself is pretty funny and such an instant win for Chuck Norris, which of course fits the logic of Chuck Norris being the best ever. All right. Next, we have William Edmeads on Make a Movie for Xia. And he says, can this character also mean to jump scare someone, like giving someone a fright, uh, very memorable to do for humor, and or is that to lighten the meaning for this character? So actually, that's exactly the meaning of this character. Xia means to scare or to, you know, and of course, you can have degrees of, of scaring someone. So 
there's a number of different characters you might put after xia to indicate how bad the scare was. So there's a, you know, in, in English we might say, you scared me to death, right? Well, you'll actually say a similar thing in Chinese. You'd say, ni you xia to scare, si, which means to die. Ni xia si wo le. And the le, you throw that in the end because, of course, it just happened and it's completed. You you finished the act of scaring me to death. <laughs> of course, it's obviously an exaggeration, but you can use exaggerations in Chinese and hyperbole in Chinese just like you can in English. So, xia si. It could, I guess, technically, it could literally be true. I suppose it's maybe happened before where somebody got scared, had a heart attack, and died. But usually the xia si wo le. Is just a way of saying, oh, you scared the crap out of me, right? And so, um, and then of course you could say, which would mean, I think if you're, if you haven't, no, you haven't quite learned it yet if you're at, but die is, I believe, character 104 or maybe it's 106, can't remember, but it's around that area. That means dumbfounded. So I was scared to the point where I was dumbfounded. So that'd be really scared. Um, now you could say ni xia dao wo le, and xia dao dao just means um, uh, to successfully do whatever came before the verb. It means to arrive, and so you could think of it as the verb arrived. So ni xia dao wo le, you succeeded in scaring me, right? So uh, that's how you can think of xia, and it just depends on the uh, degree. If you just said um, as a matter of fact, a lot of times when I'm in uh, um, at work and Annie is there and I suddenly say something to her, she's like kind of she takes she's easy she's easy to fright frighten I guess you could say, and I'll just be like, hey Annie, and she'll just kind of jump and she'll be like, oh sassel, and um, even though she's not actually scared to death, she just says it, oh right, and so. It really just depends on the degree. So it's exactly how you use it. It's definitely to give someone a fright would be xia. All right, so next we have a few uh, pronunciation-based questions. So here we have uh, a question from William. He says, hey, guys, so I just had a thought. Is it possible that the pronunciation for zhi, zhi, shi, and are just the retroflex versions of qi, qi, xi? So those are several of the problem initials that we have in Chinese. So zhi, zhi, shi, zhi. These are all with the tongue pulled back, and they're what's called a retroflex syllable. And uh, they're called that because, of course, you flex your tongue in the retrograde position. So there's a way too technical way of saying, pull your tongue back. So you pull your tongue back, and you kind of point it up, touching the roof, roof of your mouth. And then qi, qi, xi. The reason that these are uh, problem initials is because you widen your mouth a bit and kind of, you know, e, 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 qi, xi, ji. The, and then you put your tongue against the back of your bottom teeth. Now, it's interesting. Like, you could say, are they the retroflex versions of GTC? Uh, I know that Luke said, yeah, it, it sounds like that's what it is. Uh, I mean, I guess so. I think you could think of it like this. Like, if you put your tongue in that retroflex position of zhi, zhi, shi, and then while it's in that position, try to say GTC, I suppose it's going to come out the same way. Like, zhi, zhi. Like, I can't actually say the E sound when I'm there. So it may very well be that they are just the retroflex and tongue against the back of the teeth versions of each other. Um, I know that for me, the J, Q, and X, because they could be combined with 
chu shu. It, it's it's I mean in terms of how they sound they sound nothing like each other so you got but I suppose that if you wanted to say that all of them you're trying to say e but only one of them can you actually say e because of course with the u you go if you just change the lip position, then suddenly you can no longer say e and it turns into u. So it seems to me that the way you could think of it is that the e sound is created by your mouth position and your tongue position. And so if you change your tongue position or your mouth position, then the vowel sound will change too. So ultimately, I would say, yeah, you could think of it that way. As long as you get your tongue position right, it'll probably sound correct. So, I never thought of it that way before, but, you know, that's sort of the logic of how you can think of it. Alright, finally, we have Jay from the email. Jay says, sorry, I don't know exactly why, but perhaps I'm just being a bit thick around this part. I've rewatched Phil's videos at the beginning of level 7 a couple of times now. Still don't feel like I grok the nature, purpose, or of what I'm doing with the word connection cards. So, what he's referring to here is the... Um, the way that we add images to our word connection cards. And that's basically the cards that are for compound words. And it's mostly, we focus on this in phase two. You still do it in phases three through five, but the idea in phase two is to get good at picking good images to represent vocabulary words. Now, I'll get into a little bit more about that in a second. Continue with his email. I've done some where I found a picture that sounds kind of like the word, and I found things like, like Phil's example of his first phone, but a lot don't really make sense when I get to review them. So this is an interesting thing. He says, I've done some where I found a picture that sounds kind of like the word, and I think that maybe he had a misconception about uh, the idea that it's supposed to be related to the sound specifically. It's supposed to be related to the meaning. Now, it could be a link to the meaning, but it's supposed to be related to the meaning, not necessarily the sound. Um, next, he says, maybe I'm conflating too much with the really clear and obvious hard link mnemonics of the HMM characters, and these are supposed to be something different. Maybe I can phrase the question this way. The card comes up in Anki. I see the picture, and what? What is ex expected to occur in my brain at that point? Still loving the course, Jay. So the brain occurrence, what is expected to occur in your brain, is that you see the image, and then you produce the Chinese word. It is actually quite simple. But the reason that this particular... Um, occurrence happens in the first place is because, well, it's images are way easier to remember than words on the page. So if you imagine that there's a word and that word is, um, uh, that, that, that word is just the text on the page and then you're supposed to produce the Chinese translation, that is scientifically shown to not be as effective as seeing an image on the front of the card and producing the Chinese word. Our ability to remember images is far deeper into our evolution than the ability to remember text on a page. So even though it might seem simple, if you have a picture of an apple on the front as opposed to the word apple, the memory is going to be significantly different. Now, the technique that's important to try to figure out with the word connection cards is actually not so much picking an object to represent a noun. Because if the word you're learning is apple, then 
it just find a picture of an apple that you think looks good. That's easy enough. But if it's something abstract, like say um, reside or live, as Chad came up with before, well, he could um, imagine something that he associates with residing somewhere. And it could be a picture from his, mm, say, first college dorm where he lived for the first time uh, outside of his parents' house. Or you could think of um, what is a the, the a residential zoning section of a map or something like that. There's different things you could imagine for it, a more abstract meaning, but that can sometimes have to be a link. So it's not something immediately obvious like an apple is to uh, the word that means apple, pinguo. But like, as long as the link is clear to you and you see the image on the front and it causes you to produce the word, it's good enough. And that is more like how a Chinese person learns or a kid learns when they're a kid because a kid learns when they're a kid. But you know what I'm saying? Like it's, that's more like how they learn. It's a direct image to the Chinese word and there's no going over to the English translation, which is a bit of a tangent. There's no need to do that. You can just go directly from the image to the Chinese word and that's more efficient overall for two reasons. One, it takes out the step of going through the translation. And two, uh, we know that images are better or easier to remember than text on a page already. So with those two things in mind, that's why we do it. And so even though sometimes it might seem like this is simple, I'm just putting a picture on the front. It's a picture that connects to you personally, and it causes you to do your reviews in a more scientifically effective way. So that's what's up with the word connection cards. And that's all in today's podcast. So thank you so much for watching. And we'll see you very soon for a new case study. And of course, next week for the Q&As. Catch you soon.